1: Matthew 16. Turn there if you would. This is one of my all-time favorite subjects to teach on because it is the foundation of what our church is built on. It is truly the foundation of what every church should be built on. Because as a believer in Christ, once we get born again, the truth is, and this term gets thrown around a lot as well. We're going to see this today. This term gets thrown around a lot as well. Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, let's find out what the Bible says a Christian is. Because the truth is, once you're born again, as I'm going to go through with you today, all four of them, we started touching on the first two Wednesday night. there's four growth stages to a believer. Four growth stages. And the start of that growth stage is what's called a convert, which we're going to come back and look at in just a minute. I'm going to show you another verse on this. So Jesus never said, <clears throat> in his own words, he never said you got to become a Christian. He did say you must be born again. But he also said you must be converted. So once you're born again, what do you need to go through? Conversion. You need to go through a convert stage of development and growth. But Jesus declared, as we've already looked at, and I'm not going back there, Matthew 28. He proclaimed to his disciples there in verses 16, 17, 18, 19. He said, you go into all the world and you do what? Make disciples. You make disciples of all people. If you don't know it, that's the third stage of the growth of a believer. So we want to get there and live there, because that is you and I now living like Jesus. So I'm going to go over these verses in Matthew 16, 24 with you again. I'll just remind you of what Luke 6.40 told us. Luke 6.40 said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but he'll be just like him. Think about that. A disciple is not above his teacher, but he'll be just like him. Well, if we're a disciple of Jesus, what does that mean? We can live like him. We can live just like Jesus. Jesus himself declared it in John 7, uh, John fourteen, twelve. He said, if you believe in me, the works, which just refers to the lifestyle he lived, the works that I did, you can do also. We can live a life like Jesus. That's the heart of what being born again is all about. Being born again is not just to get, quote, unquote, uh, a ticket to heaven or, or pray a prayer so I know I get to go spend eternity with God. No, it's to totally change your life here on earth, to live a God kind of life that he had already destined for you to live. Amen. Yes. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, so these are those who are already being discipled by him, notice what he said, if anyone, so he extends this to others, not just those that he chose, were with him at the time, if anyone, what, desires to come after me. Now, if you'll look this up in the Greek language, New Testament, originally written in Greek, Old Testament and Hebrew, in the New Testament, the statement here in the Greek language says, if anyone wills to be my disciple. Desire is a choice of will. Whether you will to do it or not is a decision you make, which determines where your desire really is. So he says, if you desire or will to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me remind you of four things he just told you of what it, of what it takes to begin to walk out being a disciple. Number one, what's the first thing? You got a desire to want to what? Be like him. He said, if anyone desires to do what? Come after me. Well, that means to be like him. That's referring to the discipleship stage of walking like Jesus walked. If I walk like Jesus walked, what does that mean? My lifestyle now looks like his. But you know what else that means? My thought life has changed. I don't think like a mere human anymore. Once you're born again, by the way, you're no longer a mere mere human. You're now a born again child of God one spirit with the Lord, heir of God, joint heir with Jesus, on and on I could go, new creation that never existed before. So realize this, you and I have to understand to be a disciple of Jesus, one, I've got to have that desire to what? To be like him. If I don't have that desire to be like him, the other three things I'm going to, that he told you, that he tells us to do, they won't help you. It's like anything in life, what you have a desire to do, you'll chase after it. If you have a desire to sleep in on Sunday morning, you'll do it. If you have a desire to simply be lazy in life and not obtain much in your life, you'll do it. But if you get a desire to be diligent to do things about changing your life, you'll do it. Think about what people have gone through in times of war. I mean, have you ever heard these stories of what people have done in times of war? I like something our pastor teaches on. Very clear. He himself having uh, actually fulfilled two tours in Vietnam as a sniper. I mean, I've heard some of the detailed stories that he won't tell in public that he shared with me. I don't even want to imagine what that was like. But I'm going to tell you what got him through it, desire, a willingness to live, a willingness to get up every day and, and to overcome the enemy and to be able to obtain victory and walk in victory. Guess what that desire did for our pastor when he was, a, when a, when he was in the military, a Marine, uh, to be able to train for, to go to Vietnam? I'll tell you what it did, caused him to be very, be very disciplined. If you desire to survive, you better, dis- you better learn how to get trained and be disciplined or you're not going to survive in that, that context. So realize this, desire can cause you to do things that you never thought possible. Amen. Now, get, how much more with God? If you have a desire to be a disciple of Jesus, guess what? Sure, your effort has to be there, but guess who kicks in and helps you? God does. Amen. God's living inside you and he's the one who empowers you to do it. He's not trying to get you to become a, dis- a disciple on your own strength. He's trying to get you to tap in in the context of the natural. He's trying to get you to tap into that new guy on the inside that has all the power you need. So to desire, number one, to follow Jesus is what it takes to begin to be a disciple. Number two, he said, if you have that desire, anybody here have that desire? If you have that desire, what do you got to do? Deny yourself. Now, this means to disown. I want you to write this down. It means to disown the old self to disown the old self. He's not asking you to deny the new self. The new one's the one we want to get to know. It's the old self. It's that old, fallen, human, fleshly nature that we were under control of for so long as a fallen sinner that we got to start disowning the way it thinks, the way it talks. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. You keep speaking like an old sinner, guess what you're going to do? You're going to curse your life. You're going to speak death over your life. That's saith the Bible. Go read James 3. Your, your life today is, is actually according to the Bible. If you believe God, I mean you believe God, I believe God. Your life today is a result of what you've been speaking in your yesterdays. Yeah. James 3 says your tongue is like a rudder on a ship. It determines where your ship winds up. It's like a bridle on a horse. But this is why we as believers need to understand that denial of that old self-nature through the renewal of the mind to find out who's the new guy on the inside of me. Once you're born again, ain't it good to know? I know it's not great English, ain't, but you know, it's a good Texas word. Ain't it good to know that you're brand new on the inside? That I can now let that man come out. So let me remind you something our guys learned in the Total Man series with Dr. Sumrall. When you came to the knowledge of sin, most of us very young in age, when you came to the knowledge of sin, the Bible says, Romans 7, you die. You didn't die when you were born again. No, your spirit came from God. Anybody that's brought into this earth has a spirit where do those spirits come from? The Father. They don't come from the devil. Well, God doesn't give you a dead spirit. That's right. He gives you an alive spirit. That's right. Any good amens on that? Yeah. So realize you and I got to understand. How many ever heard this term? Get born again and get your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you know it was already there when you actually came into the earth? Because if it wasn't, you couldn't go to heaven. Right. And where did your spirit come from? God. But the Bible does talk about you can actually do what? Have your name blotted out. So understand that when you're born into this world, you have a spirit from God. That spirit is perfect, but what happens when you come to the knowledge of sin? Paul told you in Romans 7, you die. How do you die? Spiritually. Your spirit man dies. Your spirit man then dies. If you don't believe any of this stuff, just come talk to me. I'll prove it to you from the Bible. I don't have time to go over all of it. It's really simple when you understand it. It's not hard to figure out, but the Bible's black and white about this. So once I die spiritually, what must I do? Jesus said you must be what? Born... You were born once, now you need to be born a second time so that you can get a new spirit and have eternal life come in you. Amen? Amen. But once you're born again, now you're once again a complete being. Before, when you give your life to sin and you actually commit a sin in relationship knowing that what you've done is wrong and you die spiritually, guess what you do? You become an incomplete being. Your spirit's dead. When your spirit dies, who takes over? The soul does. Mine will die and emotions that's what takes over your life of what you choose to do what you go by reasoning of what you go by your feelings of how many christians are still led by their feelings today but you shouldn't be you should be led by your spirit your spirit should rule how you feel your spirit should rule how you think so once you get born again you now have the ability to come back to the way god created man before the fall what was adam and eve to be governed by their spirit their spirit actually had attached to it a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and they were living in a body. And as their spirit ruled them, guess what they did? What was right in the side of God? What got Adam and Eve in trouble? Eve started listening to her soul. Right. She started reasoning out how good that fruit looked, remember? Right, yeah. And she said, wow, I don't know, maybe it would make me wiser than I am already. And so then she chooses to follow her soul and go eat the fruit and then give it to Adam. But realize you and I, once born again, have the ability to come back to where God created us to live. How are we supposed to live? Our spirit, the new man, as we renew our minds to the word of God, can help us live the life of a disciple walking like Jesus. When we come aware, become aware of that new man and start acting upon what that Bible says you now are, what are you doing to your soul? You're telling your soul you don't rule me anymore. I tell you how to think according to the word. See, when you renew your mind, what you're doing is you're telling your mind according to your spirit, man, and what it already knows, this is what you're going to think. This is how you're going to see yourself because this is who you are. And then you begin to walk that out in your body. You begin to do what? Live the life of Jesus. So number two, you've got to deny self, meaning what? To disown the old self, the old nature. You don't want to continue to live according to what the old nature, the old fallen fleshly nature wants to do because that's going to take you the opposite direction of a disciple. Right? The Bible's clear. The flesh is in, uh, is in, in enmity opposed to God so we don't want our flesh to rule we want our spirit to rule how do you do that you deny that old nature how by the word of God renewing your mind to who you now are and then you do what number three he says here take up your cross take up yours he took up his he's not asking you to take up his right he's not asking you to physically go to a cross although some of the disciples did Peter did but he's what is he asking you to take up your cross what does that mean take up your cross So this isn't dying to flesh. Jesus did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. When did he deny self in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was there for three hours in prayer knowing he was going to be separated from the Father when he died on that cross. And what did he say in that time of prayer? Not my will, Father. This is all review. We've covered all this. Your will be done. Not my will, Father. Your will be done. So he denied that self in the context of the Garden of Gethsemane, example to you. And then he did what? He picked up that cross and carried it. What was the cross for Jesus? It was the will of the Father. Why did he come here? To go to that cross, to fulfill God's will. What has taken up your cross? Number three, you now take up what is God's will for your life. You take up God's will for your life. You begin to walk out what the Bible teaches you are as a disciple of God. And you begin to put action to what you renewed your mind to. James says, as we read already in James chapter 2, if you're just a hearer but not a doer, well, what are we doing? What the new nature already knows to do. What we were walking out, we're not, we're not transforming ourselves from the outside in. We're renewing our mind to who's on the inside. And by acting upon it, we're allowing that spirit man to rise up in dominance. Walking as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus wasn't ruled by his soul, or he would have never said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours, Father. He would have never said that. If he was ruled by his soul, you know what he would have said? I ain't doing it. But he's not. He was ruled by his spirit man. When you learn according to the Bible who's on the inside of you and renew your mind to that, what do you do? You start acting on it because that's who's in there. And when you start acting on it, he starts rising up in dominance. So now you're walking out step three. You're taking up God's will. You're doing what God said you as a New Testament believer should do based on who's now on the inside of you. Amen? Amen. And the last thing he said you're to do then is do what? Read it. What did he say to do? Follow Follow him. Now, this is a context of a phrase different than what he started off with. Because to follow Him actually, and if you look it up in the definition of it, to follow Him means to be what? To actually now come and to actually develop a relationship with Him, walk with Him. So the last one, number four, critical to you and I walking out this aspect of a disciple, become a companion of Jesus. If you're not going to become, how are you going to become His disciple if you're not going to be His companion? Think of all those that that were there physically, and you see a lot of examples of this in the Bible, and he's trying to get them before being born again to understand and learn how to be able to live this out. But he said, guess what? You need to come be with me. In one context of the Gospels, it talks about the actual cost of discipleship. And in that cost of discipleship, there was a guy who came to him, And he said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Man, doesn't matter. I'm just going to go with you no matter where I go. This was actually a religious leader of the day, a scribe. And you know what Jesus did? He turned and he said, You know what? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, why did he say that? This guy said, I'll go anywhere with you. Let me tell you about scribes. They had the best seats in the marketplace. You listening? Mm -hmm. Nicest homes. Guess what they were not used to doing? They were not used to living as Jesus was living without all these quote-unquote physical, uh, you know, in their view, necessities, but not necessities, niceties. And you know what Jesus was saying? You want to become my disciple? You're going to live a whole lot different life in the time you're on the planet. Listening? You're going to be sleeping outside on occasion, (laughs) on the ground. God's going to take care of us, but I don't have a home. I don't need one. I got a job to do. You want to be my disciple? You have to give up all that. So realize, now he'd have been taken care of. They weren't poor by any means. Jesus didn't need a treasure if they were poor. I don't want to go back through all that, but you don't need a treasure. There's no reason to have a treasure you got no money. Remember when when Judas uh, betrayed him at the Last Supper? Remember what all the disciples thought he did when he left? They thought he was going out to feed the poor. Why? They did it all the time. How do you feed the poor without money? He was the treasurer. So they thought he was actually going to spend money to help, help the poor. So realize Jesus wasn't poor. He just saying, your form of lifestyle, you're accustomed to living, is not how you're going to live if you're going to follow me. You're going to have a whole change of lifestyle. And so he knew when he said that, this guy clearly wouldn't stay with him, and he didn't. Another guy after that asked him, or actually told him, excuse me. He said, listen, I want to be your disciple. I'll follow you, but I need to go bury my father yet. And once I bury my father, I'll come back and I'll follow you. Now, his dad wasn't dead. What he was saying was, I need to go home and wait till my father passes away. And then when he does, I'll come find you and be with you. Too late. Too late. Now, a lot of people think he was being mean. Not at all. You're going to see in this series, Jesus says, you can't love father or mother, brother or sister more than you love me. He's not telling you to dishonor him. I said, he's not telling you to dishonor him. But if you're going to go wait around for what they're going to do, you're not going to follow me as a disciple. Can I get a better amen? He said, you let the dead bury the dead. Come be my disciple. He didn't mean he couldn't have ever gone to to his dad's funeral. He just meant you're going to go sit home and wait for your dad to die. You're not going to walk out what I have for you as a disciple. So realize the significance of becoming a disciple, but what a life to live. To live just like Jesus. So four things again. You still with me? Look again, verse twenty-four. What are the four things I got to have? The desire to do what? Be like him. I've got to do what? Deny the old self nature. I got to take up my cross, meaning what? I got to take up God's will for my life now. Live out what I'm to live as a new believer, right? To become a disciple, you could get born again and never take up God's will for your life, living out what God created you to do. You'll never become a disciple. Let me tell you. I want to remind you of something I told you all to end of last night's webinar. What pastor shares is not to bring gloom and doom for the person, listen to me, for the person who lives the life of a disciple, I'll guarantee you this according to the Bible. If you live the life of a disciple and are led by your spirit, you're going to have no problems in the last days. No problems. Thus saith the Bible. But if you don't, I'll guarantee you what, you're relying now on your strength, your knowledge, your ability, your own wisdom to get you through this life. And you're going to be affected by a lot of things that go on. When you walk as a disciple, guess what you're not doing? You're not relying on your strength. You're not relying on your wisdom. You have the mind of Christ. You have the answer to every problem. You listening? Why? Because you know how to tap into that walking with Jesus. But you don't keep living how you want to live. And then when you have a need for that, think you're going to tap into that. You haven't developed spiritually learned learn how to do that yet. So you got to understand as a disciple, you're going to have everything you need. Amen. So what does a disciple got to do? Number three, he's got to take up the will of God for his life, walking out what a disciple would do. And number four, if you're not going to make a daily lifestyle of Jesus being your companion, getting to know him, how are you going to become a disciple if you're not even going to walk with the one that you're going to be a disciple of? you got to walk with him every day if you want to be a disciple of Jesus. you got to have relationship with him. Amen? Book of Acts chapter 3 Book of Acts chapter 3, don't get nervous, a lot of that was review, but it wasn't all review. Acts chapter 3, you know, I start teaching the Holy Spirit, starts bringing all kinds of things to my remembrance, and a lot of those little trails help a lot of people, so realize the significance of knowing these things. Acts chapter 3, you are well taught in this church, that's not a credit to me, that's a credit to the gift on my life and to the leadership on our life that God gave us to help us understand these things, amen? amen? People say, man, you know the Bible so well, well, a pastor should. If they don't, they shouldn't be pastoring you. Doesn't mean we have all the answers. I'm still learning. Are you kidding me? Nobody's got it all yet. We're all still developing. We're all still growing. I will tell you this. I'm a 4 stage believer or I shouldn't be in this position. Because we're going to talk about the four stages today. No pastor should be in the pulpit that isn't called or isn't in the fourth stage of a believer. Should not be there, according to the Bible. Acts chapter 3, you still with me? Verse 19. So the first stage, as we've already talked about, is the stage of a convert. I'm going to show you this in another verse. We looked at a different verse Wednesday night. I'm just going to briefly touch on the first two because we taught on them Wednesday night. Remember what Jesus said? You must be converted. Must become like a little child and be converted to enter the kingdom. Well, here's another context of what the Bible refers to about this convert stage or being converted. 19. Notice Peter here is preaching after a great miracle of a healing of a gentleman who had been sitting there lame from his mother's womb gets healed. Then all of a sudden these people pull him into the actual temple or area court area of the temple and he starts preaching the gospel. And he tells them in verse 19, repent, say repent. So what's repentance? You simply turn from your old life, old nature and acknowledge all those old sins. I don't want to live that way anymore. And you turn to God. Repent is turn around. Do a 180. Right. So he says, repent, therefore, and be converted. Two separate things. Mm-hmm. He, didn't say, he didn't say repentance is conversion. No. He said, repent and be converted. I mean, you know, and from an English time frame of your life in the school, right? Mm-hmm. Carrie will help you out with this. And's a conjunctive word. She was a teacher. And so meaning what? So you got, that adds on to what he already said. It's two separate things. Right? right? What was the deal when I was a kid growing up? What was the deal? Conjunction, junction. What you remember that? What was that? they show those little things. You know, you're watching cartoons on Saturday morning and here we Schoolhouse Rock, you know, right? And they would show you. So, and's a conjunctive word like actually a train and it, and it connects two things together, but they're two separate things. What am I supposed to first do? Repent. What's repentance? Receive salvation. Turn to Jesus receive this the free salvation the free gift of salvation he offers but then you're, you're also supposed to be what and be converted yeah. don't just repent what are you supposed to do and be converted watch that your sins may be blotted out that they won't be a part of your life anymore Amen. that they will only be wiped out from your spirit but you'll also be what walking free from them as a believer in the planet notice this so that times of refreshing yeah. Yeah. ooh, come on Amen. that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord Why? Because you're converting. Converting from the world, converting from the old ways, and you're converting to Jesus. 20. Notice. And that he may do what? Send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. That's where we're actually at now. Jesus will not come back to a time of completion to end all things until all all that God says has to be done of the times of restoration is completed. am not going to talk about that. That's end times. Which God has what? Spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. Prophesying about what you and I are seeing right now on the earth before the return of Jesus rapture of the church. So realize what he just said here in verse 19. Repent and be converted. Say that So to be a convert, in other words, I want to give you this word again. The word convert here means to change your turn from one lifestyle to another. You're turning from one lifestyle, way of living to another, even changing the way you think. Even changing the way you think. What your opinions used to be. You get rid of your opinions and you now find out what God says. This is what a convert does. I'm changing from one lifestyle to another Even changing my opinions now, getting rid of them to see what God says about life. Right? My opinion when I'm wrong, I'm punching back. I'm going to slander. I'm going to argue. I'm going to do whatever on social media to try to get back at you. God says, don't do that. God says, forgive and walk away. What am I doing through conversion? I'm forgiving and walking away. So I can do what? Walk in liberty, walk in freedom. So you got to understand this. This is important. A lot of Christians are still at conversion stage. Why? They're still struggling with the basics of what Christianity is all about. Conversion stage, real simple, right? Conversion stage to grow as a believer means, for me, a lot lot maybe went to church when they were younger. I didn't. Conversion stage meant I didn't go to church when I was a non-believer. Guess what I'm going to start doing? Church. Guess what became a priority in my life? Church. Why? Because I'm going to learn about God. I'm going to get connected with a shepherd. God's going to help me through the word to understand what I need to know so I can develop as a believer, right? There's a lot of Christians still haven't made this conversion. They don't even think they need church anymore. The Bible doesn't say that. See, you're still going by your opinion, not what God said. Conversion means I changed from the way I was living, but also the way I was thinking, and I'm going to turn to God. I wasn't a Bible reader before I got born again. Guess what I became after being born again? a Bible reader actually a feeder learning how to be able to get to know Jesus and develop in my walk with God I was not a giver to the kingdom of God before getting born again guess what's one of the basic things you got to deal with to convert your life to Christianity you got to learn to be able to honor God with your money money's always been a problem with people always and it's been a hindrance of their ability to develop as a child of God if God if you're a disciple and you're walking like Jesus guess what you know my father takes care of me wherever I'm at on the planet I don't have a problem giving. No. Amen. Why? Because I'm not looking at money as my source. No. Amen. See, a disciple doesn't look to money as their source. A disciple knows God's my source. Amen. Amen. A convert's still struggling with that. Yeah. Convert still struggles with God as their source. They might claim it if they hear a verse about it, but are they really living it? Are they giving in a way that shows their trust in God with their finances? Thank you for your amends about this. Yeah. This is basic stuff. This is Christianity 101. Of what you convert from, right? I wasn't giving to the kingdom. I now do. Why? Because the Bible tells me I do so to honor God's word to help preach the gospel. And in doing so, what does God do? He supplies and takes care of me. Amen. Are you still here? Yes. I was not submitted to godly leadership. I turned my life and found godly leadership in my life God had for me and God submitted. Amen. Why? Because that's what a convert does. How am I going to be discipled disciple? Through godly leadership. God gifted them to help me. To get to know Jesus and develop with Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus would have to come down here physically himself and walk with you. But that's why he gave what? Gifts to men. Including the the gift of the pastor. Amen? So conversion is going through this basic change of lifestyle and even thinking to start seeing what God says about life. Amen? Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. It's so always good to turn to these in your Bible, to mark them, make note of them, because then obviously this isn't... What, what bugs me about Christians that just don't want to seem to look at the Bible anymore is this ain't just about you, darling. This is about helping other people. And if all of a sudden you come across somebody else that needs help with that and you remember that verse, you can turn to it. Say, Let me, let me go to a verse with you. See, a lot of times if you just share what you think you know with somebody, that doesn't have near as much impact as opening your Bible. Say, so, hey, read that verse for me. Tell me what that verse says right there. Amen? Amen. And this will help you to help others as well. Praise God. 2 Thessalonians. So now we go to the second stage of a believer, which is known as an epistle. Say epistle. What is an epistle? Simple definition, a living letter. Living letter. What are the living letters of the Bible that we're to adhere to, learn about, and develop in of who we now are? Romans to Revelation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. What do they tell us about? Life of Jesus. Things Jesus does want us to know. Absolutely, that are a benefit for our life. But he never tells us specifically a whole lot about who we are. He just shows us the life to live, gives us a model, gives us an example, teaches on it, talks about it, and talks about the kingdom of how to get into it and receive salvation. But what happens at the beginning of Romans? You start finding out who you are. Once you're born again, yeah. Romans to Revelation is all about who you are. There's other stuff, but I'm just telling you, these are what are known as the epistles or the letters to the New Covenant Church. You and I are no longer Old Covenant people, never were if you weren't a Jew, but we're not Old co- we're under the New Covenant. Doesn't mean that stuff under the Old Covenant doesn't still apply. Don't fall under that stupid lie. Guess what the Bible talks about, and even in the New Covenant? Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. The blessing of Abraham is yours. Oh, where are you going to find out about the blessing of Abraham? In the Old Covenant. But it's still yours. It's still yours. So don't just discount the Old Covenant. But the point is, you and I are not going to know who we are by reading the Old Testament alone. We're not going to know who we are by reading the Gospels. We're going to know who we are by reading Romans through Revelation. These are those letters... That these disciples by God penned for who? Who did they write them for? To the church. All these different churches that they sent these letters to. To help them understand who they were. And God preserved them for me and you. And so we already read on Wednesday night how Paul told the Corinthians. Remember this? In 1 Corinthians he wrote a very corrective letter to fix a lot of stuff that was going on in the church. Sexual immorality, all kinds of of aspects of sin. So he writes this corrective letter to say, boys and girls, this is wrong because this is not who you are. See, different under the New Testament. It's not like wrong just because God said it is. It is wrong because God said it is. But guess what is the significance of how you and I need to approach it? That's not who I am. You listening? I'm not somebody who holds a grudge. Well, I know Christians that do. Their spirit doesn't. Their flesh does. Right, right. If, you, if you're governed by your spirit, you won't hold a grudge. You'll forgive. Because right. guess what your your spirit is? It's, it's united with God. It's just exactly like God. What's the first fruit of your human spirit? The love of God. Guess what the love of God does? Forgives everybody. Amen. So understand that what, what he told the Corinthians in the first letter about all this corrective stuff, he then comes to them in 2 Corinthians 3 and he says... I'm so glad you responded basically to my letter. And he says, you are now our living epistle. Our living epistle. You're an epistle, he said, read by all men. Meaning that you responded to that letter I wrote. You honored what I now revealed of what you really are on the inside. And you changed your actions. And in doing so, you now look like that letter. You now look like that letter that I wrote. You're a living letter. Here's another verse on it. 2 Thessalonians 2. Verse 13, 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Paul writing to the church here at Thessalonica. We are uh, bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. Watch, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Your belief in the truth and receiving Christ caused God to be able to move on your behalf and do what? Sanctify you in the Spirit. Make your spirit brand new. 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Verse 15 is the focus. Therefore, brethren, because of this. So what's he saying in verses 13 and 14? You're born again already. You're born again already. Look at verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. Now, these are not religious traditions. We don't hold fast to religious traditions. What are the traditions they were taught? These letters. These letters that were written to them of what we know to be biblical doctrine, biblical teaching for who we are in Christ. You hold fast to these traditions. Watch this. Which you were taught when they were with them personally, whether by word or our epistle. So either when we were with you, we were teaching you what Christ taught us to teach you, That is the traditions you want to hold on to. Or I've even written letters to you of which I've taught you the same things about who you are in Christ and how you're to live. You hold on to those traditions. Why? Because if you do, what do you become? You become an epistle. You become a living letter. You and I are to take hold of Romans through Revelation. Say take hold. We're to take hold of those and say, this is who I am. And this is how I live now. This is how I think. This is how I act. This is what I do because that's the new guy on the inside. So you're not ruling me anymore. I'll tell you what's a great way to live. No longer ruled by your emotions. Imagine being offended by somebody and not affected by it. You didn't hear me. Imagine being offended by somebody and not being affected by it. Well, that's just not possible. Jesus did it. Paul did it. Peter did it. John did it. Who do you, I mean, how many more you want me to give you? Philip did it. Sure you can. Why? Because you can live like Jesus. Amen. You can sit there and look at him and say, offend away. It doesn't hurt me. Well, I'm a child of God. I don't, I'm not affected by my emotions. I don't go by my feelings. Feelings get us in more trouble than almost anything we can name. Like a better amen than that. So what, what do I do when I start reading Romans through Revelation? I renew my mind. This is important. I've told you this many times. I brought it up again in Amazim the other day. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? I present my body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. What does that mean? What does that mean I present my body a living sacrifice? Hey, old self-nature, you're not ruling me anymore. I'm putting you on the altar. I'm putting you on the altar. You old self-nature, you're not ruling me anymore. I present you as a living sacrifice. Okay, so I'm still alive in you. I'm still living in this body. But guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to rule me anymore. You're going on the altar. You're going on as a sacrifice to God. You're being sacrificed to God as a living sacrifice, meaning you don't rule me anymore. You listening? When a sacrifice was made in the Old Testament, that sacrifice had no choice about what was going on. They were bound and put on the altar. Guess what your body should no longer be doing? Determining. Determining how you live. It should be bound and put on the altar. And recognize you don't rule me anymore. Tell your neighbor, he's talking directly to you today. Praise the Lord. What happens if your body doesn't rule you anymore? Guess what you're not going to walk in? The flesh. Guess what you're not going to go into? Corruption. He who sows to the flesh reaps corruption. But, come on, he who sows to the spirit. Reaps what? He reaps life and peace. Zoe. Life as God has it. So realize that you and I have to present our body living sacrifice. I'm denying that old nature. You're not going to determine what I do. So how do I change that? Verse 2, Romans 12, 2. Be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may then now prove what is the good, acceptable, Perfect will of God. How many would like to live out the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Your mind has to be renewed. Question, question. Do not answer this out loud. I'm tired of embarrassing my church family. What do I renew my mind to? Do not say the word of God. No. Well, pastor, that's heresy to not say the word of God. No. If all you say is the word of God, what word of God? Come on. What word of God? Okay, I'm going to send all of you to Job for the next month. Go renew your mind to the book of Job. That's not going to help you to know who you are in Christ. See, I am to renew my mind to the Word of God, but more specifically, what am I to renew my mind to? Who I now am. Who I now am. I'm to renew my mind to the new guy on the inside. How do I do that? The letters. The letters. Say the letters. letters. Romans through Revelation is what you need to renew your mind to so you can see this transformation take place. As you renew your mind to find out who's on the inside, what do you do? You start acting on it. Well, I don't feel like it. You don't go by how you feel. You know, the simple truth about walking by faith is I don't go by what I feel. I go by what God said. Amen. How do you please God? By faith. Hebrews eleven six impossible to please God without faith. Lord. Oh, I wish to have more faith. You got the same measure of faith that God gave uh, all the disciples when they were Amen. born again. You have the same type of faith Jesus has. You were given a different faith. Amen. Thank you for all your amens about that. Amen, Why is it faith comes by hearing? Because the more you hear the word to renew your mind, guess what you do? You put down the flesh and you don't allow it to rule. You believe God's word, you trust him, you act on what he says. Amen. That's faith. Amen. Hebrews 11 is a hall of faith. Come on. What's the hall of faith all about? God said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Right. What if Noah wouldn't have built it? He wouldn't have walked by faith. Right. Did he have to wait till he heard the word, preach for, you know, 25 years to be able to have enough faith to build the ark? No. He just trusted what God said. Golly, Gomer, he just trusted what God said. God said, build an ark because there's a flood coming. They'd never seen a flood. There'd never been a flood. But you know what Noah knew? God knows what he's talking about. Amen. You know what I wish some modern day Christians would learn? God knows what he's talking about. God knows church is good for you. God knows where the word's good for you. If you do it right. Right? Because you got this new nature. So what is faith? Build an, build an ark, Noah. What did Noah do? And he got in the hall of faith. Abram, leave all of your comfort. family. Home. Oh, come on out to the desert with me. Yes. Guess what Abraham spent the rest of his life doing? Living in the desert in tents. Right. Didn't care. No, right. You know why? God was preparing a covenant for me and you. That's right. God made a covenant with Abraham to provide the way for Jesus to come. Amen. Because of Abraham's obedience. One of the first people I'm going to walk up and shake the hand of. Thank you, Amen. Father Abraham, for obeying God and going out in the wilderness Amen. to provide a way for Jesus' sacrifice to come to us. You opened the door when you made that covenant with God for God to get Jesus in the earth. Yes. Thank you for doing that. Yes. If you've never studied it, that's a fact. But understand, all Abram did is he did what he obeyed God. Amen. Come to the wilderness. See you, family. Right. Bye, home. <laughs> Don't need you anymore. He wasn't sad about it. Walking with God? Are you kidding? Right. No. So he obeyed God and he went and did what God said. Uh, Say praise the Lord. Praise. So, what does an epistle do to walk by faith? You just simply start walking in the light of who God says you are. But if I don't take time to renew my mind to the Word, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not walking as a companion of Jesus because He is this Word. And therefore, I'm not going to develop as a disciple. So uh, again, very clearly, he tells them in verse 15, you hold on to these traditions, what you've learned about who you now are as you were taught, whether by word, like right now you're getting the word taught to you, or by what? Or by our epistle, the letters we've written to you. So if you continue to hold on, say "Hold hold on. If I hold on to these teachings, what's going to happen? What does it mean to hold on? Well, I'm not just holding them in my mind. How am I holding on to them? I'm starting to do them. I become a doer of the word. Amen. Remember what James said in chapter 2? If you hear and don't do it, what are you? You deceive yourself. You are, in you are a sense, double-minded. But he says there, if you hear the word but you're not a doer, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You're self-deceived. Yeah. What does that mean? You're not walking in the light of who you really are. So all it means. So realize if I lay hold of these truths and start living them out, start acting on them as I learn them, what am I doing? I'm holding on to these epistles. Guess what you start looking like? The, the epistles. Yeah. Who God says you are. You become what? A living letter. You become a living letter. Now, if you stick with it, you can go to the place of discipleship stage. Go to Acts chapter 11. And that's what this teaching, by the way, we're getting into is all about. We're going to start going into it in more detail tonight. Acts chapter 11. I'm not going to focus on going to today's message. I'm not going to focus on all of what it means or takes to be a disciple. That's the whole teaching we're doing. I'm just going through the four growth stages. When you get to this stage to become a disciple, I'm going to start showing you tonight what you do to become that disciple. If I'm already an epistle pastor, what do I now do to become a disciple? We'll start talking about that tonight. I just want you to see these four growth stages so you understand how this works. If I've never converted yet from the basics of the world to the ways of God, how do I ever expect to get over into disciple stage? You're not going to jump epistle stage. You listening? And you can't jump the convert stage and go right to disciple you got to be what? Converted first. Taught the word, start acting on that word, living it out. Now you become a living letter. And then tonight I'll start showing you what you do to become a disciple. So this third stage is known as the discipleship stage. There's a lot of scripture. There's, there's basically 270 plus verses in the New Testament that reference being a disciple. Think this is important to God? Just in the New Testament. And there's only one reference in the Old Because it's in the New Testament, we become disciples of Jesus. So I want you to see this. Acts chapter eleven. I'm going to show you what a disciple looks like. Let's let's actually look at what a disciple looks like. Amen. Acts eleven nineteen. Listen carefully. Now those who were scattered, so this is after, this is literally after the persecution of the church began. Stephen's martyred. I mean, the disciples have been arrested you know, multiple times and let go. Now the church is actually born, they're preaching the gospel, but who is who is persecuting them? Who's persecuting them? Who's persecuting the church? Primarily as a group. Who's persecuting them? The religious leaders of the day. They don't like the fact that these disciples are now getting the preeminence. With this new message, they're taking the focus off of us. Well, the focus never was supposed to be on them. The focus was supposed to be on God. Verse 19, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose arose over Stephen, because he was literally stoned and left for dead. Notice this, they traveled as far as where? Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Say Antioch. Antioch. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, then Cyprus, and also Antioch. What were they doing? Preaching the word. Underline that. What were they doing? Preaching the word. They were proclaiming the gospel, what the Bible teaches, not just about salvation, but about the new life you can live, about the kingdom of God, all these truths. They were preaching the word. Watch this, to no one initially, but just the Jews only. Verse 20, but some of them, now these again are are understanding. These are apostles. This isn't just Peter. This is multiple apostles that are doing this, that are preaching the word there. Verse 20, some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, Who when they had come to Antioch, these are disciples, watch this, they spoke to the Hellenists preaching what? The Lord Jesus. Now what does it mean they preach the Lord Jesus? They preach that we have now one who has come and died for us, who was prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus, who is now Lord of all. He's now Lord of all and he can be your Lord. Watch this. They again, verse uh, 20, they came to Antioch preaching the Lord Jesus. 21, I want you to get this. I want you to notice this. Underline this, please. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Amen. Underline that. The hand of the Lord was with them. Why would that be stated there? Why would we need to know that? It said they're preaching the the gospel. They're preaching about the Lord Jesus. Why do we need to know the hand of the Lord was with them? Because this phrase means that they were doing the same supernatural things Jesus was doing. When it refers to the hand of the Lord with them, it doesn't just mean with them to preach. No, they were already preaching. Why then does it add to it and? Conjunctive word again. The hand of the Lord was with them. Guess what God does with the preaching of his word? He confirms his word with signs following. The hand of the Lord with them means they were healing. They were casting out demons. You're going to see this. They were doing exactly what Jesus had done. You got to get that. A lot of people read right over that. They miss the power of what's being said here in these verses. Say the hand of the Lord was with them. So that means the supernatural power of God was at work in their life doing what Jesus did. Notice this, and therefore a great number did what believed and turned to the Lord. Now you can find this anywhere in the book of Acts. The hand of the Lord being with people, just like Jesus, means they would see healings, manifestations, they would see demons cast out, they would see miracles. And what would happen when these things would take place? People would turn to Jesus. They'd realize, this, this, is, this is for real, man. This is real stuff. We can't deny that the power of God is being displayed here and people are getting set free. I want to receive this Jesus. This is how it's supposed to work, folks. And so a great number believed and did what? Turned to the Lord. The greatest way you can get people to believe in your Jesus is demonstrate Him. Demonstrate Him. How do you do that? You walk as a disciple. If you walk as a disciple, what are you doing? What Jesus did. You're living just like Jesus lived. Somebody say amen. amen. 22, notice this. The news of these things did what? Came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So as they're doing this, of course, news went all the way back even to the church at Jerusalem. Of all that was taking place, watch this. News came back to the church at Jerusalem and they, they sent out, therefore, what? Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now realize, these are disciples of Jesus, verses 19 through 21, already doing these works. Barnabas and Saul wasn't even there yet Paul they weren't even there yet they just sent him now to help establish and govern a church that's being built to get it going verse 23 when he had noticed this when he Barnabas had came and had seen the grace of God what's the grace of God mean what do you mean he saw the grace of God more than salvation what do you mean he saw the grace of God they are receiving what they did not deserve that's more than salvation that's healings and deliverances of which none of us deserve but they're seeing it happen he was what? He was glad, wouldn't you be? Yeah. And he was what? Encouraged. He encouraged them all that with purpose of heart. Underline that. With purpose of heart, they should what? Continue with the Lord. With what? A purpose of heart. Yeah. What is your purpose of heart continuing with the Lord, church? Live for Jesus. Become a disciple. Live like Jesus. Why don't you figure out what the purpose of your life here for is once you're born again? Become a disciple of Jesus. Live the kind of life he lived. Why did Jesus go say, make disciples of all people? Because that's the purpose. I said, that's the purpose. 24, notice this for he, Barnabas, as well, was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas departed to Tarsus to go find Saul, later turned to be named Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So it was, notice this, for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Why? Because now they got this beginning of a church. Guess why Paul and Barnabas had to stay there for a year? They had to pastor him. They had to pastor them, help take care of them until they could raise up a pastor to continue to provide for them. Underline the rest of the verse, please. Listen carefully. End of verse 26. And the disciples, say disciples. What's a disciple? One who's doing what Jesus did. And the disciples were first called what? Christians. That's the first time the word's ever used in the Bible. Ever. Jesus never used it. Paul never used it. Peter never used it. First time it was used wasn't even by the disciples. Who was it used by? The people in Antioch. So the people in Antioch see all these miracles and signs and wonders God's doing through these what? These disciples doing what Jesus did. And they labeled them beyond disciples. Guess what they did? These people at Antioch then labeled them. Where did the label Christian come from? The people at Antioch. The people at Antioch gave that label to them. The people at Antioch said, these are Christians. They said, these are those Christ-like ones. What's Christ mean? Anointed. Anointed. These are these anointed-like ones. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. The first part of the phrase Christian means anointed. What are we supposed to do? Walk in the same anointing. See how many people run around and say, I'm a Christian. They've never experienced the power of God in their life. There's no verse that says you're a Christian because you got born again. It says you're a convert. Thank God. I said thank God. And if you do what, walk out the road to become a disciple. Guess what? You become a Christ-like one. Come on, a Christ-like one. These are they, they said. These are those little Christ. These little anointed ones. They're just like that Jesus guy. Remember Jesus. Remember the guy who was here who died? They said he rose from the dead. And he said he's in heaven now. Well, he must have because guess what? They're doing what he did. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. So this is the third stage of what a believer can get to. A disciple. And a disciple is what? A disciple is one who identifies with Jesus. Why? Because they are a Christ-like one. They're walking in the same anointing. They're walking in the same power. I thank God I learned this early on because before I ever became a pastor, I was already seeing this stuff happen. I was just simple enough minded to believe what the Bible said about me and accept it and then believe what the Bible said I could do and accept it and then allow God to work through me whenever I had opportunity just to step out in faith and watch God do the work. It wasn't me healing. Wasn't me raising the guy from the dead. Wasn't me the one who was seeing people delivered and set free. Wasn't me the one that was casting demons out. It was the anointed one in me. But as I started doing those things, guess what I got a label of? Christ-like one. Now, in the modern terminology of our America today, they don't because you do those works, they don't call you a Christ-like one. You know what they call you? A Jesus freak. Thank you. Thank you for that label. Yeah, I am a Jesus freak. Amen. I'm in love with him. I'm doing what he did. I'm sad more believers are not doing so. And see, this term Christian has been so far spent beyond what it really means that it's become commonplace just to believe if you sit in a church, you're a Christian. No, you're not. If you're born again, you're a Christian. Not until you become like Christ. Not till you start doing what Jesus did. So they got this label because they were doing what? The hand of the Lord was with them. They were doing the same things Jesus was doing. The power of God was in operation. And therefore, what is a disciple? One who identifies with Jesus or does what Jesus does. Ephesians chapter 4. You still with me? One more. Come on, Ephesians chapter 4. So stage 3 is a disciple, one who identifies with Jesus. I would say it this way. One who's identified. One who is identified with Jesus. Not just me identifying with him. I'm identified with him by what people see. Do people identify you as a Christian because what you're doing is like what Jesus did? Or they identify you as a Christian just because you go to church and read your Bible once in a while? Now, I guarantee you, guess what? Jesus went to church. Yes, he did. Jesus went to church. I said Jesus went to church. And he also read the Old Testament Scriptures. Correct? Correct? Yes, no, maybe. So sure, he did those things, but that was just where he started. When he stepped out at the age of 30 into the anointing God had for him to become the anointed one, what did he do? He started doing miracles, signs, and wonders, casting out demons. What are we actually doing by doing all these miracles, signs, and wonders, healings, casting out demons? I'll tell you what you're doing. You're overcoming, you listening, the kingdom of darkness. Let me help you, Christian. I'm speaking it over you. Let me help you, Christian. You're here to defy the kingdom of darkness. Amen. It's everywhere. You're here to trample on it. You're here to push it back. You're here to put it back in his place. You're here to tell it, you're not ruling my home. You're not ruling in my family. You're not ruling in my body. Jesus is Lord over me. You're not ruling in this earth. No, wherever true Christians are, guess what is not ruling? Darkness. Guess what is? The kingdom of God. This is why Jesus said everywhere he went, he said, the kingdom is at hand. What does he mean? Kingdom. The dominion of the king is now here. That's the statement. When he said the kingdom of God's at hand, wherever Jesus went, guess what just showed up? He's the king. Guess what he brought with him? Dominion. Guess what ain't going to rule wherever he is? Darkness. Guess what is? Light. But see, that should be true of every believer. Amen. This is why he wants us to be disciples because what would the world look like if every person who truly is born again was walking as a Christ follower? Everywhere we showed up, guess what would take dominion? The king would. The king would. The dominion of our king would rule, not Satan. Not darkness. Any good amens on that. Now that's shouting ground, folks. Ephesians 4.11. That's why you were born again. That's why you were born again. You weren't born again just to get a ticket to heaven. You were born again to live like Jesus on this earth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. He himself referring to Jesus. I don't have time. I'm running out of time here. I don't have time to go back to the preceding verses. But this is talking about in the preceding verses. When Jesus died, where did he first go? Does anybody remember? Where did he go when he first died? He went down. He told everybody, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, three days, three nights, guess where I'm going to be? Belly of the earth. Oh, I wish I had time. I wish I had time. Where did Jesus go when he initially went into the, into the belly of the earth? He went into paradise. His own words. Remember we told the, one of the thieves on the cross? Right? This day. 25-hour period. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This day you'll be with me in... He wasn't going up. The Bible said he was going down. Where was paradise? In the earth. Oh, I wish I had time. I wish I had time. If you go back and study the word paradise, do a little study in the New Testament on the word paradise that he spoke there. Look it up. Guess what the word is? Eden. What happened when uh, Adam and Eve was kicked out of the Garden of Eden? It was removed. Where was it removed to? Center of the earth. Why? Because every Old Testament saint who died couldn't go to heaven yet. Adam couldn't go to heaven. Abraham couldn't go to heaven. The blood had not been shed yet for them to go in the presence of God. God had to have somewhere for them to go. Their spirits had to have somewhere to go. Guess where they went? Paradise. Eden. In the center of the earth. How do we know? Well, Jesus tells an actual true story about a rich man that died. Remember that? And he's in hell. He's in the torments of hell where the flames are. And he looks across the gulf. That just means a short distance. And guess what was over across the short distance from where he was? Eden. Guess who's over in Eden? Abraham was there and he recognized him. Why? Abraham's waiting for Jesus to come. They're in paradise. This God's so cool. You think God ain't got everything planned out. Man, you're so far beyond understanding how cool God is. Jesus said this day you'll be with me in paradise. You know what the Bible said when he died? It says he went into the place where those who were still captive and he preached to them. Held in paradise. You know, I could, I could picture his sermon now, Wes. You want to know what his sermon was like to Abraham? Mike, you want to know what it was like yeah. to all those before him that actually honored God were considered. You know what his sermon was? Hey, boys, you've been waiting for me. I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. You've been waiting all these years. You knew I was prophesied to come. I'm here. And I got better news for you. We ain't staying down here. You just wait and see what happens in three days, boys. We're coming out of here. And I'm taking you all to glory. You're going to be with the Father. How do we know that really happened? The Gospels tells you. The Gospels say when Jesus was raised from the dead, the graves of the Old Testament saints were opened. And it literally says that the Old Testament saints were seen. They were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. What were they doing walking the streets of Jerusalem with all those other Jews? Hey, we'll see you all in a little while. And then it says they ascended to heaven. Come on, somebody. But understand this. You got to understand this. When he went down there, he went down there in fulfillment of what was his ultimate ministry. Yes. And after he ascended to heaven, what did he do? He turned around and he gave to us what we know as the fivefold ministry gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Why? Let's read it. Verse 11. He himself, Jesus, this is as he is ascending to heaven. He himself, Jesus, did what? He gave some to be. Say some. That means a select few. I think it's honorable for anybody to want to be in the fivefold ministry, but I'm going to tell you straight out. I'm going to tell you like I've never told you before. If you are not called to it and you go into it, you are going to truly experience what you've never even known hell on earth yet. On top of that, you're going to mislead a lot of people because you're not anointed to do it if you're not anointed to do it, you're going to hurt a lot of lives. Amen. You listening? You could have good intentions to want to walk in fivefold ministry, but if God did not call you, this is why in the book of James, at the start of chapter 3, you know what it says? Do not desire to become a teacher. You're going to stand a stricter judgment. He himself gave some to be, what, here's the fivefold. He gave some to be apostles. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What are these five gifts for? Twelve, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of what? Tell me. Excuse me? This is stage four of a believer. You ready? It's called ministry. This isn't quote-unquote full-time ministry. No. The fivefold of the full-time ministers, what are they doing? They're equipping the saints. What are they equipping the saints to? To eventually develop to the point that they can step into their ultimate ministry of the church. Their ultimate place of serving and fulfilling God's work in the the context of the body of Christ. Look, they're here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, edifying. Till we all do what? Come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, of the stature, the fullness of Christ. How long are we going to do this? Till Jesus comes and gets us or we go to be with him. Verse 14, we should no longer be children, immature believers. The word is napios there. It means an immature believer. Who's an immature believer? Still a convert after all these years. Come on, parents. I say it all the time. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to bore you with it. I'm just saying. How many want to still be diapering your kids at 20? That'd be immature. (laughs) I'm wondering about some of our young people today. They don't still need to be diapered. (laughs) <laughs> thank you i didn't say yours i'm talking about in the world there's some people out in this world i would wonder if they still and sadly they didn't have the proper parents to help them we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about by what every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by what men say in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but 15 where to do what speak the truth in love what do the five full ministers do they speak the truth in love they tell you the truth do you know why they tell you the truth because they love you That you may what? Grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, Jesus, from whom the whole body joined in what? Knit together. Underline it, by what every joint supplies. That's ultimately the final place of ministry where God has for you to be. By what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working, that's God's ability, (laughs) according to the effect of working by which every part does what? It does its share. What does it do? Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Praise God. Amen. Stage four, ministry. Say ministry. So when we talk about the final stage of a believer of ministry, which very sadly few will get to, we're not talking about fivefold per se. If that's your calling, yes. But if that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Ministry is just serving where God gifted and called you to serve. Yes. Using the gifts and abilities God gave you to serve. So the, the term, the fourth term of ministry is, number four, our place Where we are called to function in the body of Christ. Our place. Say my place. Our place where we're called to function in the body of Christ. When I first come into the body, can I serve? Yes. Is that probably my ultimate place? May not be. You might start somewhere and then develop as you go through the context of your time in the church. Develop as a disciple and find out your ultimate calling is somewhere else. Many do. Many do that. I didn't start off in five-fold ministry. I didn't start off as a pastor. You wouldn't have wanted me to. I started off serving in my church. You know the first thing that I did in my church? Picked up chairs and put them up. Picked up chairs, set them up. Picked up chairs and put them up. I came early. I set them up before service. After service, we had to, uh, uh, actually a, a church service in a building where we didn't have uh, as our building. We had to just use it on Sundays. And we would have to bring chairs out, set them up, get them all arranged, all in order, all that kind of stuff. Because you don't want to just mess everywhere. Right. You Want to organize and nice and neat. God does all things decently in order. And then after the service, somebody's got to put them up. Well, my first day in context to church and my life in that church, that, which that guy became my pastor, Jeff Copenhaver, I saw him doing this after service, putting all these chairs. out. I said, hey, you guys need some help? Yep. Sure, okay, I'll help. See, this is why God has brought me to the place where I am today because I wanted to help from the day I stepped into church. Amen. What can I do to help God's work? You kidding? After what he's done for me? Amen. Can I help you with that? Yeah. yeah. Now, if they said no, guess what I'd have done? Okay, I'd have found something else to do. We're good. We don't need help. That, that, don't get offended by that. Right. But they said, sure. You want to help? Yeah, absolutely. I said, you guys got to settle these chairs out? Yeah. What time do you do that? Well, we come at, you know, 9.15. Oh, can I come and help you? Sure. That means I got to get up a little earlier. Doesn't matter. I said, doesn't matter. <laughs> Jesus got up early on a Sunday morning for me. Right. You didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus got up early on a Sunday morning for me before the day, before the sun even rose up.
0: Right.
1: Called the resurrection. Yeah. He got up early on a Sunday morning for me. I couldn't get up early because set up chairs before the sun's up. Yeah, absolutely. I said, well, I'll be here when well, 915 sun's up. You know, so I'm excited to get up early before the sun's up to get there. I went and helped set up chairs, and I started doing that. And guess what my pastor did? He saw me helping. Yep. You know what he said? Hey, we're going to put on some uh, rodeos, some actual uh, evangelistic rodeos over here at Cowtown Coliseum. He said, uh, you're a bull rider. You've been riding bulls all these years. That time, like 13 years, he said, you understand all the rough stock in? Oh, yeah, I've done bull riding schools. He said, well, man, you know all about the stock and all that. I said, yep. He said, could you run that for me? Can you run the rough stock in? You got to have somebody to oversee it. Right. Draw the stock, get everything organized, all that kind of stuff, who goes next, who goes that, that kind of stuff. I said, sure, man, I'll do it. I didn't ask to do that. Nope. He came to me because he saw I had the ability to do it and wanted to know if I would help out. Yeah, absolutely. That wasn't my ultimate calling. I'm not still doing that today. But it helped me get to my ultimate calling. Amen. Could I get a better amen? amen? I'm going to have to spend some more time on this tonight because I'm not going to finish it properly. There's some other verses I want to show you. But ministry is that fourth stage that a disciple once developed to the stage of discipline. Now listen, would you have, would you have entrusted me? We're talking a rodeo. That all these public people are gonna come in and see. Would you have entrusted me to run the rough stock in if I can't show up consistently on time to set up chairs at the church? Lord no. What time you set up chairs? Nine fifteen. Okay. Well that don't mean you show up at nine twenty. Right. I didn't show up at nine fifteen, by the way. That's right. Early. I showed up between nine and nine ten, so I was there in time to help them start putting up chairs at nine fifteen. Some of you hadn't learned this yet. But see, when I, when I began to put myself in a position to be used by God, guess what you do as a disciple? You discipline yourself. Yes, amen. I want to help God. I want to help do God's work. There's no way they'd have put me in the position. Jeff wouldn't have put me overseeing the rough stock end of all the responsibility that has to take place down there. That's not just bulls. Saddle Bronx, barebacks, and bull riding. And organize all that. And the stock and get with the contractors and the contestants. Let him know who's next and when to go and when to run shoot when to run horses in, when to run bulls in, to do all that stuff. He's not gonna do that if I'm not disciplined enough to even show up and put chairs out. You're getting really quiet now, so you're giving yourself away. Any amens on that? Amen. Well, listen, if you want to see your ultimate place of ministry, guess what a disciple becomes? Disciplined. Discipline. They're disciplined to do the basics of what God gave them the bill to do in the church. And as they walk out that discipline, guess what God does? He's preparing them for ministry. He's preparing them for their ultimate place to serve. I'll talk more about that tonight. Amen? Four growth stages of a believer. What are they? Number one, tell me quick. Come on. Convert. What's a convert? They're changing their way of lifestyle and even their way of thinking to God says they now are. Yes, no, maybe. Yes. If you're not going to help me, I'm going to preach another hour. All right. well, I'm turning the heat up. It's warmer in here than it is outside. I want to say. What's a convert? Changing their lifestyle and even the way they think to the way God thinks. To what God says about you. Doing that consistently. If you keep doing that as a convert, then you're obviously involving yourself in what? Church. I've converted from not going to church to going to church. I've converted from not being submitted to a pastor to being submitted to the pastor God wants for my life. And now what's that pastor going to teach me? The epistles. He's going to teach me who I am. If he's a good pastor, he's not just teaching religious rigmarole, right? If he's just teaching the Bible, what's he going to teach me? Who I am, what I have, what I can do. And if I keep hearing that and he shows me how to study these letters and continue learning for myself, what do I now become? I become an epistle. I start looking like those letters that my pastor has preached and I have read and lived on. And if I keep doing that and I keep developing to the degree that I look like those letters and now I start putting myself in a position to be disciplined which is, by the way, to make a disciple the expenditure of much time. I go beyond just once a while in church. I'm getting there every chance I can go. I'm going to extra stuff whenever I can. Men's meetings, anything I can to be disciple, trained, and disciplined to understand how to walk like Jesus. I want to do what Jesus did. I want to look like Him. I want to sound like Him. I want to act like Him. I want to think like Him. That takes more than just a a once-a-week message. You're not going to send your kids once a week to one hour, one hour class. Think about this. Send your children to school one hour. Oh, your kids would love it. I get it. But send your kids to one hour a week of school. How long is it going to take them to graduate, folks? Anybody ever figured that one out? Wow. Carrie, I have an assignment for you between now and tonight. Can you do it? Will you take my challenge? So on the basis of normal hours of you being a teacher in the past, of what a person would go through to graduate as a senior, figure out how long that's going to take if they just did one hour a day, five days a week. That's five days a week. I get you one, mostly one day a week. Some of you not even that much. Yeah. Preaching better. You're, gonna, you're adding to my preaching time. I'm, I'm serious. Oh, yeah. I'm serious. You expect to become a disciple... Out of one little hour on occasional, two, three times a month, send your kid to school one hour a week, one, one day a week, one hour just one hour for one day, and take, see how long it's going to take for them to graduate. Wow. Long time. Now, how long is it going to take you to be a disciple then if you're not showing up consistently? How are you going to do this? How are you going to become a disciple if you're not showing up consistently? It ain't going to happen. I said it's not going to happen. I started finding out everything my pastor was doing. I did everything possible to arrange my schedule to be wherever he was to be able to learn from him, grow, and understand who I was as a child of God. And I went beyond even that. I learned from him. You don't want to go off on your own. I learned from him. People to trust, people he knew, people he learned from. This is how I found out about the Hagans. This is how I found out about the sumerals. Isn't it interesting? I was listening to all these great men of God, and then God connects me with my shepherd as a pastor, Dr. Mark Barclay. And guess who all the spiritual dads were? Same guys. Same oh, God is good. Yes, he is, Tamara. He, is. he already had a plan. So I even went beyond what I was just getting in church. I, I gleaned from, I didn't go just listen to anybody. I gleaned from him. Who can I trust? Who can I listen to? Amen. Well, these are men of God who've lived this out, Darrell. These are men of God are proven character and proven the Bible, lived it out. You can trust these guys. You can learn from them. Any good amens on that? So a disciple comes about by the expenditure of much time from somebody training you and helping equip you. But if you become a disciple and you keep serving in the church and doing what God called you to do, and you do it with discipline and you do it with excellence because you want to honor God, what are you going to ultimately find? Your place of ministry, where God called you to. I'm here to tell you. Very few people will ever even get to the discipleship stage, sadly. A lot of Christians barely look like an epistle once in a while, let alone a disciple. But what a great way to live.